ahead, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bible, and we're going to now jump into the Old Testament. We've been in the book of Philippians in the New Testament, but I'm going to ask you to find the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and that's where we're going to spend some time, probably about the next six weeks or so, taking some time to not go through the entire book of Jeremiah, but some themes that I feel are really important for us to embrace as a church over the next six weeks or so. This series is called Comeback. And the reason it's called Comeback is because what we're going to see from what Jeremiah, his experience and what he writes and what God speaks to him, is something that's a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. If you ever have spent any time in the Old Testament, the old, a good chunk of the Old Testament is filled with, uh, with people called prophets. And the prophets were God's people who spoke to his people and reminded them how far off they had gotten from where God had purposed for them to be. And so he kept calling them back through people and through lives back to him. And Jeremiah is the same. And so before we get into the specifics today, just to kind of give you some background of, of what we're going to look at with Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was, was a man that God comes to, and that's what we're going to read apart about in the first 10 verses of Jeremiah chapter 1 today, that he calls Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece to his people to call them back because they have wandered away from what God purposed for them. So not a long history lesson, but if you remember, so Israel... Uh, because of their own sin, because of their decisions, they ended up becoming a divided kingdom. They had gotten to the land God gave them, but they weren't obedient, so they, they separated into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern. And so the southern was primarily the tribe of Judah, and that's the, that's the people that Jeremiah is called to speak to. So he's coming to them, and, and there's themes throughout the book. What had happened to God's people is they had their leadership had become corrupt. They were, they were actually worshiping idols from other nations, in fact, to the point where they had completely marginalized the widows, the orphans, the immigrants among them. And so God brings Jeremiah to say, hey, listen, you guys are off track. You've gone down the path you shouldn't go down. You need to come back to me. And so learning from what Jeremiah is sharing, what God's working through him, I, I want us to take some time to realize that all of us, whether it's today or at a season of our life, are prone to wander away from God. We just sang about it in that great church hymn, Come Thou Fount, about we have that that tendency to walk away from God. And there's a lot of reasons that we do that. But God calls us to come back over and over and over and over and over again. The beauty of the way God works with humanity is Peter says it this way. He says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come, what? To knowledge of him, should come to him. So God continues to pursue, even when we know him and then we tend to walk away from him, he keeps calling us back over and over and over again. And this is the amazing thing. God will never stop pursuing humanity until the day you die. He won't. He will never give up. And so this is, this is a series I want us to walk through that we are called back into relationship with God. Now, when it comes to the way that we approach it, some of us, it might be the fact that we've completely turned our backs on God. Maybe we don't even want to be here today. And we've walked away and we know that. But for others of us, it isn't something about our whole life turning from God, but there's elements of our life that if we were really honest, that we've turned our back on God. That we've tried to do what God wanted us to do, but it didn't quite work out the way that we thought it would. And so now we've made a decision, not in that area, but I'll surrender all these areas, but not that area because it just didn't work in that area. See, the problem with that mentality is that over time, that one area becomes your entire life. And then you find yourself where, where God's people were. They had walked away from God. So before we jump into the passage this morning, we're going to talk about purpose, coming back to God's purpose and what that looks like. But one of the things I've noticed in my life and I've noticed in the lives of other people is that when it comes to coming back, 
to turning from where we are to back to where God wants us to be, which is, which is what the Bible calls repentance and coming back to God, we have kind of two responses. One is denial. That when we're confronted with the fact that we've wandered away from God, we, we, even though inside, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we've wandered away from God, but we don't want to admit that we've wandered away from God. So we're in denial, like, no, 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 I haven't, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I haven't wandered away from God. I'm still will engage in inside. And you're like, no, I'm as far away from God as I've ever been. But then there's other of us that what happens is we walk so far away from God that we start to believe discouragement. And we say to ourselves, there's no possible way God could ever welcome me back into relationship. If God only knew the things that I've done and the thoughts that I've had and the experiences that I've walked through and all these things. And so we disqualify ourselves from ever making a comeback with God long before God ever even considers disqualifying us. But we live in discouragement. Why? Because discouragement says it's impossible. It's impossible. I'm too sinful. I'm too far gone. I'm too worthless. I can't come back. And in the middle of discouragement, the impossible happens. Jesus brings us back because of his death and resurrection into relationship with him, not because we earn our way back, but because we actually say yes to his invitation. See, making a comeback is something we long for in our lives. Any sports fans in the room? You watch even when your team is down and it doesn't look like they're going to come back. Why? Because you're always hoping for an amazing comeback. So maybe you're like me. You ever watched your favorite team and they're down big and you're like, they're going to lose and you turn the TV off? only to watch the news that night and realize you missed the best comeback in the history of that sport, right? So why? Because we, we hope, but we don't really believe, but then when we actually see it, we're actually encouraged, it actually can happen. So I want to play you just a short clip. The quality's not great, but this is a race where somebody was not going to win, and it was clearly weren't going to win, but watch what happens. It's the impossible. Here's the clue. Look for the red ar arrow, and you'll understand the clip. The audio's not great, but just go with me on it, okay? Watch this. 30-meter lead here. It's going to be very, very difficult for Michelle Finn here, future Olympian, to rein this one in. She's got too much of a gap. Can she hold out of CIT here in third place as DCU set off at a strong pace as UCC looked good in fifth and looked like they were passing DCU into fourth place. The big battle here is the second call. It is. It's between Cork and that oh, is I UL at the moment. Soon. CIT and UL, but it can. The Look UCL Finn. It is fading, and Michelle Finn to turbo blast rejects of the steeplechase specialist uh -oh. are being turned on with 2.50 to go. Eight meters to get there. Six meters. Oh, five UL meters. Get she is going to go past the UCL. It is out on her feet. Michelle Finn, the future Olympian, powers on by. Here comes CIT. Another effort in the home straight. And here comes UCC. I think we're going to get third. UCC from the depths of hell are pouring through. Oh, Michelle Finn is saying. Here comes UCC. Here comes UCC on the outside as well. And it's the lady of UCC. Finney's going to make it. It's unbelievable. She's out on her feet. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Finney, what a run. Oh, the best line in the whole thing is from the depths of hell, which is appropriate. I think we walk towards the depths of hell and don't think that God can bring us back. But there's something in us that longs for a comeback. And God makes a way for that to happen. And that's the journey that I want us to take over the next six weeks or so as we walk through some themes in Jeremiah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take a look at Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to talk about looking through the lens of Jeremiah's call, that God calls him to be the prophet, that it helps us to understand something that sometimes we miss. 
to really understand what it means to make a comeback and re-engage with God, you have to understand the origin of where you came from, and that origin is about God's purpose in your life. Not your purpose for your life, God's purpose in your life. So as we talk about that this morning, let's look at these 10 verses. So starting in verse 1, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. That is a whole lot of names. Jeremiah is setting the tone and setting the context and the time period for what this is, when this is transpiring. Now look at verse 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah talking about God talking to him. Verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is Jeremiah's response. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So I want to stop there in just those 10 verses and look at, again, looking through the lens of Jeremiah's experience with God, that God is calling Jeremiah to the very purpose that he brought him into the world for. And for you and I to understand the importance of a comeback or to understand why it never makes sense to walk away from God, we have to go back to understanding God's design and purpose in our lives. So look at the, the, the first part of this. Look at verse 5. I want us to walk through. These are things that you and I need to come back to, things that we need to remember about coming back to God's purpose in our life. The first thing is this. Remember God created you. I know it sounds basic. You're like, yeah, I get that. No, remember God created you. The first thing that God speaks in verse 5 to Jeremiah says, is before I formed you in the womb. God was already at work, even before he's forming him, but he's forming Jeremiah in his mother's womb. He's creating him. He's bringing him into existence. And this is something that is consistent for all humanity because the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, verse 13, for you form my inward parts, you knit me together, together in my mother's womb. God brought us into existence. And this is important when it comes to remembering God's purpose in our life. Why? If God made you, then God knows what you're about. He knows what you're supposed to be about. And this is what's so important about going back to the fact that God created you. You're not self-made. You're not an accident, but you're a form that God has brought into existence for his purpose. And the reason that's so significant is because many of us struggle with not knowing where we came from. It's not that we don't know where we came from. Obviously, we may know our parents, our birth parents, and, but we just don't have a sense of the, the divine touch of God on us, that we're made in the image of God, that God created us, and that's how we end up getting off track. This is a huge thing in our culture right now, to understand our identity, to know where we came from. Is, it helps to explain some of the, the traits that we have or what our life's supposed to be about, about when we go back to know where we came from. Anybody had your DNA tested? Anybody done to Ancestry DNA or 23andMe? Yeah. Did you know in 2017, 12 million people had their DNA tested? Over Black Friday alone, DNA, uh, Ancestry DNA sold 1.5 million DNA kits. It's crazy. 
More and more people, why are we doing that? Why? Because we want to trace our origins. We get back to where was, where was my ancestors? What traits were true of them? So what does that do? It helps to shape an understanding of who we are. It's always really earth-shattering when you discover that you're not who you thought you were, right? You think you're one nationality and you're the complete opposite. But then it helps you to shape, oh, that's why this happens in my family. This, why it gives you a framework that now you understand things that you didn't understand before. Way beyond your physical DNA, there's the DNA of God infusing his power and his spirit into you in, in the form of creation to bring you into existence that gives you an identity that is more important than your physical identity. And that's why we have to go back to remember, God brought us into the world. And if he's the one that started this, he's the one that's going to keep it going in our life. He's the one that's going to give purpose, which, by the way, another word pur for purpose is meaning. It's the reason you and I get out of bed every day. It's the reason we still live our lives. Why? We're trying to find meaning in our life, and the one who gives meaning is the one who was there at the beginning, the one who started it all. And he's saying to Jeremiah, listen, because this is important, because already Jeremiah's going to object, which we all object. He's already laying the groundwork to say, hey, Jeremiah, I was there before you had a mouth. I was there before you could think. I was there before you even spoke. I was there before you even walked a step or spoke a word. I was there. Why? Because I created you. Therefore, I know what your life is about. And if we lived in that every day to trust that God really knows what he's doing with our life, and he actually has something in mind for each one of us. Second thing, look at the second part of verse 5, is that remember, God knows you. So Jeremiah says, that God, God says to him, I knew you. Wait a second. Jeremiah didn't have the capacity to think or understand or know relationally anybody. But before Jeremiah even had a thought, God says, I knew you. I knew you. I knew who you were. I knew what you were going to become. I know all, everything about you. And that's true for every human being, that God is the one who created us, so God knows us. Why is that important? Because God knows you and I better than we know ourselves. And here's the challenge. We think we know ourselves better than God does. That's why we constantly tell God what he's supposed to do in our life. That's why we get mad at God, because we come up with our purpose, we call it his purpose, and when it doesn't unfold, we get mad at him. That doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. Why? Because we think we know ourselves better than God. You can never know yourself better than the one who created you. And if we were to settle into this, this truth that God knows me better than I know myself, therefore God is the one who's going to tell me what my life is about. What's going to bring meaning to me? More than I can try to figure out on my own. I'm going to listen to God's voice because he knows me. So I grew up with my, my grandfather being a, a very skilled carpenter. That was his life. And in fact, to this day, uh, when I smell wood that's being like, you know, someone's like using a bandsaw or a table saw, and I smell wood that's cut, immediately it takes me back to my grandfather's garage in his shop. Because that smell is him. It, it was on his clothes. It was always in, around their house. That's just the smell of grandpa. But he, he, in his garage, in his shop, he had more tools than I could understand in terms of what they were. He had, he, in fact, all the tools in his, his shop, there was probably 90% of them, I had no idea what they did. They looked weird, they looked cool, I could try to figure out, but I know what they did. Maybe 10%, if they were like a hammer, I could really know what a hammer did, I was, it wasn't that dull, but you know, I figured that out. But a lot of their stuff, I didn't know what, he, what it was for. But there would be days when mom and dad had had a stay at grandma and grandpa's house, and I would go out to the garage, and I would just watch my grandpa work with wood. i watch him use the saw, and then he would be doing stuff, and then he'd go to like a toolbox, or he'd go to a shelf in the garage, and he'd pull out something that I had never seen before, and wouldn't have the foggiest idea of how to use it. And then he would do something amazing with wood. He would bend wood, or he would glue wood, or he would do all these things, or he would, he would make shapes and stuff. And I don't know how he did it, but he would always use tools, and I didn't understand how he would do that. 
And the reason he could do that is because every single tool in his shop, he knew what it was for. He knew how to use it. And so every single one of them was useful. The same thing is true of the way God looks at us. He is the creator, and because he's the creator, he's designed each one of us specifically for a unique purpose that fulfills his purpose in the world. And that's when you and I find meaning and value, and we understand what we're all about. When my grandfather passed, passed away, uh, a number of us got together, and we, we divvied up his tools. So I took the tools that I knew what they were. There was three of them. <laughs> and one was his hammer. It was his hammer. And it, it was, it was a, it's a wood-handled hammer, and I have that thing today. In fact, it's the first hammer that I grab. I have like five other hammers. And the reason is, is every time I grab it, I look at it, and it's stained with his handprint. It's got his blood, sweat, and tears on that. It's ingrained into the wood. So every time I grab it, I can see a piece of my grandfather and think about all the times he used this for a million different reasons, but he knew exactly what he was doing every time he picked it up. The God of the universe brings you into the world, creates you for a purpose, and you and I have to understand why we should never think about walking away from God is the moment we walk away from God, we lose our usefulness in life. We lose our meaning and our value and our purpose. Why? Because God has created us for something specific that is incredibly valuable, but when we walk away, we find a substitute that never brings the same amount of value to our lives. So God is setting kind of the, the foundation for Jeremiah's objections coming up in the next couple verses. But still looking at, at verse 5, look at the third part of verse 5, because the other thing God calls us back to with his purpose is to remember, God chose you. So God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, I did what? I consecrated you. Consecrate means set apart for a unique purpose. Not a common purpose, but an uncommon purpose. The word consecrate is used in the Old Testament when Israel's getting ready to cross the Jordan. Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourself. What? Be ready, set apart. Why? Because tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. So God says, listen, before you were even thinking it, I already had set you apart and I already chosen you for this purpose. So God didn't let you and I be born, kind of look at the way life unfolds and think, ah, they're turned out pretty good. I think I'll choose them. No, before you and I ever had a chance to mess up, God chose us for his purpose. Why would God do that? Because, oh, his foreknowledge, he sees that we're going to be good people and we're going to be gifted and skilled. No, read the Bible. You're going to find that God doesn't choose those kinds of people. God chooses people that we wouldn't choose. But God chooses us because, ready, here it is, because he chooses us. I know that's earth-shattering knowledge to all of us. Because it's his choice. And because he loves us, not because we earn it. If you're a parent, you can understand that. There's something about your child, even in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of those moments where they, they want, you're causing you to, to pull your hair out and you're feeling crazy because your child won't obey or won't do it. There's those moments you still love your child. So when Jordan started playing basketball in third grade, I had, I looked for long, I longed for this day that I got to coach my son, and I coached him as long as I could until his, his ability outdistanced my coaching ability, and so in third grade, I could still coach him, I was still taller than him, I could still outplay him in third grade, not for long though, so, but, but the league that we were in uh, for third graders, the way that they set it up is they actually did like a draft, it wasn't like they put it on like uh, other leagues have been a part of, and some um, objective person picks the teams, they actually had tryouts, as a coach, you take notes on all the players, then all the coaches go to a room, and then you draft players. So when I got into the room, I had my draft list of the players I, were, I was going to pick, and I kind of knew the way it was going to go. 
And so right off the bat, they said, hey, before we do any selection, just so you guys know, you, uh, you have an automatic first pick. I'm like, okay, how does this work? They said, yeah, if your son is in the league, he's your automatic first pick. And I looked at my list, and guess who was at the top of my list? Jordan. And I already picked Jordan, and Jordan was good, but Jordan probably wasn't the best player in the league. There was a few other players good, and he was decent. But I already picked Jordan. Why? Because Jordan was my son, and I longed for the day that I could do this with him. And so to pick him was like a no-brainer. It was the default. It was the automatic pick. And even if Jordan would have been the worst kid in the league, he still would have been the first on my list. Why? Because he's my son. And I love him, and I want to share this experience with him. And it isn't about his basketball ability. It's about the fact that I love him. And when God looks at us, as he looked at Jeremiah, he wasn't waiting to see how we turned out and see how skilled we were. He made a choice beforehand and said, I chose you. God has consecrated you for his purpose in this world, in your lifetime, because he loves you. And his purpose is about his glory, but his purpose is about your meaning in life. And that's why we have to go back to the beginning. We're talking about comeback is that we have to remember God's purpose twofold to help us to remain with him and to remind us when we walk away what we need to come back to. Some of us have walked away and we've lost meaning. We've lost purpose in life. Why? Because we've lost connection with God. Then there's the next thing. As we've gone through the first three parts, look at the fourth part of verse five. And that is this. God's calling us back to remember God appointed you. So he says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God says to Jeremiah, I appointed you. The word appoint is really important because we, we forget that there's kind of almost two meanings, but, but it's the same meaning, which is everybody, anybody ever had an appointment before in your life? A doctor's appointment, right? An appointment with a tax specialist. Oh, we hate those, right? An appointment for something at work. We all have appointments. We know what there is. What is that? An appointment is a valued time kind of segment in our life that we want to remember and be present for so we do something before the appointment to make sure we make the appointment. God says, Jeremiah, I've made an appointment for you. And the appointment looks like profit to the nations. And Jeremiah's got to hear that because he's saying, okay, my life is appointed, which means the appointment that God wants me to show up for is being a prophet to the nations. That's what he's purposed me for. God has given an appointment to each one of us. The question is, have we showed up to the appointment or have we missed it? How do you and I miss God's appointment? We think we have a better idea than he does and we show up to another appointment and we miss the appointment that God has for us. Every single day of our life, and this is one of the things I was grappling with during worship this morning and even as I'm teaching through this message myself, is that every single moment of every single day needs to be captured for the purpose that God has for it. Even the mundane, common moments of life, I'm taking a step back and saying, God, in this moment, what are you up to? When I finished all my work from the day and I'm tired and I just want to sit down on the couch and do nothing, it's not that I have to get up and do more, but instead of just kicking the TV on and vegging out, I just sit down and say, God, what is happening in this moment? What appointment have you made for me that is consistent with who you've called me to be that maybe in this moment I need to see and accomplish in my life? Every single moment to think about what is the appointment. Think about that. If you if you and I don't prepare and listen to God that there is some kind of divine appointment and intervention in our life, then we're going to miss it. Our eyes won't be open. Anybody ever missed a significant appointment in your life? 
I've missed too many of them. And I'm not even talking about divine ones. I'm talking about really important ones that are part of like normal human life. So when I, when I got out of high school, I applied to a bunch of different colleges. And so I had a lot of information going out and information coming in. And so when I had got into a number of schools, I was trying to figure out how much they cost and if I could go there. And so in the middle of all of that, I got accepted at CSUN. And so that was like my, my default. I know I could go to CSUN, but there were other schools I was looking at. And so in the midst of all of the, kind of this college stuff, all the information that I received from CSUN, I took it, I read the acceptance letter, but I didn't bother to read beyond the acceptance letter. And then the fact to go back, I did acknowledge, yeah, I want to be at CSUN. So they knew that. So as, as things unfolded, I thought, okay, I dialed in, I'm going to go to CSUN. And so, so I knew when classes started, and so I thought, well, I'm sure I'm going to get something in the mail that I'll register for classes, and I'm sure they'll do something called freshman orientation, because when you're a freshman, you don't know what you're doing. So I'm waiting for information, waiting for information, and we're a week out from when classes start. I'm like, man, they must really wait a long time. Maybe they wait till like the first day of school. So I thought maybe I should get that packet of information out again. So I read past the letter acceptance and started reading all this information only to discover freshman orientation happened three weeks ago and I wasn't there. So I, I got on the phone and I, it took me a while. I finally got to the person who basically was pretty much saying, yeah, you know what, if you miss freshman orientation, we don't know if you're still coming, so I don't know if you're still in the school. So they've made an arrangement for me to get back in. And so I show up on the day before classes start primarily, and they said, listen, you're not in any enrolled in any classes because all the freshmen are already enrolled, so the only way you can do this is you have to show up to every class and talk to the teacher and see if you can get in. So I spent the whole first day going all over the campus at CSUN, talking to all the teachers to get into all the classes, only to discover the schedule that I needed to be able to work while I was in school was not possible in the class schedule they gave me. I was going to be at school every day for long periods of time. I could work two hours a week. That's about it. So I realized when I got home, I can't do this. So I was enrolled at CSUN for one day. And then I went and dropped all my classes. I had to go to a community college because community college had all night classes that I could go to and still work during the day. All that because why? I missed an appointment. How many things in our life have unraveled because we didn't bother to dial into what God's doing and say yes to the appointment he's calling us to. Because I don't think it's about confusion. Like, God, what do you want me to do? I think it's more of God, I think I know what you want me to do, but I don't want to know what you want me to do. I think that's more of a problem. But where are the appointments that you've missed that God's called you to? They happen every single day of our lives. Jeremiah said yes to his, and God worked profoundly in his life. Now, going on out of verse 5, look at verses 6 through 8, because the next uh, reality for us is that God calls us back to his purpose by calling us to remember God is with you. This is where we start to get into these objections, the objections that Jeremiah is making. So look at verses 6 through 8 again. So then I said, so Jeremiah's response to God, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to, to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. Here it is. For I am with you to deliver you. Let that settle in for a moment. Why is God saying that to Jeremiah? What is Jeremiah's objection? Here it is. This is all of our objection to God. We make an assumption. Our perception is this. God, I'm going to get out there and try to do what you called me to do, and then I'm going to fall flat on my face, which is evidence that you left me. How many times in your life have you pressed into something only to see failure happen, and your first, your first thought is, God isn't present? 
Why? Because our interpretation, if everything's good, then God is good, but when things go bad, God is bad, and he's left the building. That's how we live. We usually don't get discouraged when everything's going well. We usually don't question God when everything's going our way, but the moment something bad enters our life, the first assumption is, God, you've left me. But God is saying to Jeremiah, no, 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 no. Don't say you're too young. Don't say that you can't speak. Why? Because in the moment where you think I'm going to walk away, I am with you. That's how you and I fulfill God's purpose and meaning in life, is realize that even in the difficult moments, God's with us. But our perception of what it looks like for God to be with us is different than what the reality is. Because there's moments where you and I are convinced there's no way I can see God in the middle of any of this. I think he's left me. He's not present anymore. But he's actually working in your life in the midst of that moment. We've all had those dark seasons of the soul where we question God's existence, only to come back on the, on the outside or the back end of that and realize, he never left me. He was with me all along, but you couldn't see it at that moment. So Kim and I have a little bit of experience with babies because we've been fostering for a number of years, and, and we obviously raised a couple of our own kids. But, but one of the things, if, especially if you're young parents, you know that there's some really like important like early markers that you want to hit, with, especially with infants. Like sleeping through the night. Parents, and you remember that moment you brought your child home from the hospital? And I remember when we brought Courtney home, I came to this conclusion at four in the morning of her first night home. I said to myself, I will never sleep again. <laughs> I was convinced. Nobody told me I won't ever sleep again. No wonder grown-ups are so grumpy and tired all the time, right? Because nobody ever sleeps anymore. But we understood that there were some things that we could do to help them sleep. And so actually over the years, because we've been fostering, we've become somewhat proficient, barring some special needs that a ch child may come into our home with, we, we have a strategy, and it takes about six, on the long end, eight weeks to get the average baby to sleep through the night. Because here's the challenge that every child faces. So when we bring in, we've brought a, a number of them home from the hospital, so they're just days old, and they come into our household, and when we put them down the first night, automatically, when we put them in the crib and we close the door, what do you think they do? They cry. Even though their mental capacity is limited at that point, in their mind, in their subconscious, there's something that says to them, I've been left alone. And so the only answer I have to that, which the only answer that any baby has to any issue is to cry, right? So they start crying. Why? Because the room is quiet, the room is dark, I don't feel anybody holding me, therefore I must be alone, so I cry. It's instinctive, but that's not true. Because although the room may be empty, the child is never alone. In fact, what happens is that over that period of time, Kim and I have been able to figure out the difference in what a baby cries for. Parents, you know this. You know when your child is crying because they need to be held, which, by the way, it's not abusive to let them cry. It is abusive to not answer to the certain cries where they have needs that you only can take care of. But we learn over that period of time what is a legitimate cry of help and one that just says, pick me up. The one that says, just pick me up, we don't respond to but we hear it every single time. But you know what happens in six to eight weeks? That child begins to understand that even though the room is quiet and it seems empty, they know they're not alone. And the reason we know this is because the change in their cry, when we show up, they know if they're actually in distress that we're gonna be there. It's amazing. Children are perceptive even before the age of two months. And we've seen this happen. But you know what? We have the same perception of God that we think the room is dark, I'm alone, I can't feel God, God's not holding me, therefore, he's left me. He hasn't. 
If you were here a few weeks ago when Larry Power spoke, do you remember what he kept saying over and over and over and over again? When we're in need, what we cry out to the Lord and he answered our prayer. Why? Because God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. But some of us are convinced because we perceive that God had left us, we've walked away from him. And he never left us. We're the one that left. And he's still pursuing us to come back to him. And look at verse 9, just a couple more points. The sixth reality of what it looks like to come back to God's purpose is remember God equips you. So in verse 9, God says this. It says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, God's saying this to Jeremiah, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. What is God doing with Jeremiah? He's equipping him. Jeremiah's saying, I can't speak right, so it's not going to go well. So God says, that's okay. I got that taken care of. I will give you what you need. I will equip you. I'll give you the words to say, even though you don't think you have the words to say. I'll put them in your mouth, which is the way God works with us. We always tell God, God, you got the wrong person. Why? Because I'm not capable of doing that. And God says, I'll equip you. I'll give you what you need. But you and I have to show up. God gave Jeremiah the words at just the right moment that God needed to speak through Jeremiah. See, you and I don't think we're equipped because we won't push far enough with God to the point where right where God, we're in over our heads beyond what we can do, and God shows up and equips us in that moment. That's called a gift of the Spirit, by the way. We want gifts, but God says, I'll give you a gift if you're going to give it away, not to keep it. And we experience God's fullness by when we're at the edge of our, at the limit of ourselves, and God equips us and empowers us beyond our own ability. So God says, listen, here's what you're supposed to do, and here's how you're going to do it as I do it through you. And that's why we can risk and do things that are beyond ourselves. God always equips us. Now, you're going to have to forgive my analogy, but this is the way my brain works. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Dark Knight trilogy. That, that series of Batman to me, sorry, you can argue with me, other people might, I think is the best Batman series of all time. Okay, it's just me, all right? You can disagree. You can also go to another church. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? If you take me seriously on that, you really need some help, okay? I'm joking. But I want you to follow me with this analogy. You may have to know Batman a little bit to know this, okay? Batman is who Batman is because of Lucius Fox. Lucius Fox is the guy behind the scenes who equips and arms Batman to do everything Batman does. And in the last of that trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises, in fact, uh, you know, Batman kind of reengages and comes back and, and, and after kind of this, this time away and tries to reengage to kind of help Gotham again. And so he connects with Lucius Fox again and Lucius walks him into the armory to show him all the stuff he's got. And kind of the, the pinnacle of that movie, if you haven't seen it, giving away, it's like 10 years old now anyway, so you should have seen it by now. The key, the key weapon used in that movie that delivers Gotham and saves the day is a kind of helicopter thing called the bat. And it's exactly what Batman needed to help haul a nuclear weapon out over a bay and save Gotham. And so the whole point is Lucius shows him all this stuff and everything is just what he needs in every scenario to do what he needs to do as Batman. You and I are Batman. But we don't have Lucius Fox. We have the God of the universe that says, if you will step out and be what I've called you to be, I will give you what you need to do what I've called you to do. And then in that moment, you know what you experience? Meaning, value, life. The moments when I've been in the, the deepest end of my life, in over my head, and God shows up are the most rewarding times in my life. Why? Because God showed up. 
God equipped me to do what he called me to do. And it's always much bigger than I realize, which leads to the final thing. In fact, as I'm into this last part, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. We're going to sing one last song together. But you and I, if we're going to remember what it means to come back and understand God's purpose, we have to remember God's purpose is always beyond you. This is the difference between our purpose and God's purpose. Our purpose is attainable. Our purpose is doable. Because our purpose always includes comfort and safety and all those kinds of things. God's purpose is always way beyond us. God's purpose is always in the deep end. So look at, look at verse 10. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Listen to what he says. This is so over the top. This is to a guy who says, hey, I'm too young, I can't talk, and then God says in verse 10, see, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overfl- uh, uh, overthrow, and to build and to plant. That's the deep end. Jeremiah, I am setting you over nations, over kingdoms. That's way beyond Jeremiah's ability. And God does that. Why? Because God is helping Jeremiah to understand something very important about his purpose. Our meaning and our purpose in God's purpose is always going to be beyond. And when it becomes the understanding that it's beyond, we realize how valuable it is. If you read through the New Testament, if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to realize that God called a group of people 2,000 years ago, and he called them the church to live beyond. And if you read through the book of Acts, it is about beyond. It's not about easy. It's not about safety. But it's about fulfilling and purpose and what God had intended for people to experience from the beginning. So for us today, here's the key for us to coming back to God. There has to be a moment in our life where we see Jesus for who he is and we realize how incredibly valuable he is compared to anything else we will ever, ever encounter in our lives. There has to be that moment. Why? Because we come to this realization that if we've walked away from God and then finally our eyes are open, we realize, why did I do that? Or maybe we haven't walked away from God, but we've considered it until we come to that moment and we compare what we think is out there to the reality of who God is right here when we realize, I can't find that. This is the encounter, this is the realization that Jesus' disciples came to. In fact, there's a story, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses in in the book of John, where Jesus says some really tough things about what it means to follow him, to give your life, to be with Jesus, to follow him. Really some tough stuff. So difficult that people started peeling off. Like, ah, it's too much for me. I I I don't think I can follow him. And then Jesus is pretty much left with his disciples. And this is the conversation they had. Listen to what happens. Verse 66 of John 6, it says, At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. What is Peter saying? I can search all over this planet. I can find every experience there is in humanity. I can do everything to try and find meaning and purpose and value in life, but only you hold the key to life. The word, the phrase eternal life is not about the future. It's about the future and the present. So Peter is saying 
Only you have the key to life. Only you have the key to fulfillment. Only you have the key to meaning. Why in the world would we go anywhere else? Does that mean that Peter never fell away from Jesus? No, actually he did. But what did Peter always do? He came back because Jesus called him back. And today, Jesus is calling you back. Whether it is a whole life turned from God and you've walked away, or there's an area of your life you know you've turned your back on him, God's saying, come back. Come back to me. Learn from the mistakes of my people. Sadly, we can learn from Israel's error. They didn't turn back, and eventually they were exiled and lost everything. But we, thousands of years later, can learn to say, God called them back and called them back and called them back, and if they would have turned back, they would have had everything. So God calls us back today to experience his life. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. As a point of reflection and response to what God is saying to you today, where have you walked away from him? Maybe you can, it's, it's a no-brainer. You're like, you know, I've, I've walked away in so many areas. There's so many areas, so many roads I've walked down. So many things, that places I've gone that I never thought I would be and things that I've done I never thought I would do. And, and I know that, that I can't live there anymore. And, and you need to hear the voice of God today. He's saying, come back. And he's saying, come back. And, and what come back means is turn the biblical word for turning back is repentance, which means I stop going the, down the road and the path that I've been going on, and I simply turn for my intention to go back to God. But here's the beauty. When you turn from the place that you're at, you don't have to work your way back to God because here's the reality. God has always been with you, even in your sin. And when you turn around, you discover He's right there. He's right behind you, and he's always been right behind you. Maybe there's others, and you know, you know what? I'm not living in rebellion. I haven't walked away from God, but I know there's areas of my life where I've, I'm prone to wander in that area. I'm prone to buy into a mindset that doesn't lead me down the road where God wants me to go, and I know I need to turn right now before that one area becomes my entire life, and so today I turn. So whatever it might be, I'm going to ask you, in, in these next few moments, we're going to sing a song we sang earlier. It's called Touch of Heaven. And there's just the, the essence of the song has to do with being in God's presence. And then once again, opening ourselves up for God to touch us. Once again, to be vulnerable and open and honest, to confess our sin and our brokenness and be brought back into relationship with God. So whatever that looks like to you, when we sing this song, would you allow this to be your point of responding to God's call back to you, offering over your sin, receiving his forgiveness, and then again, reestablishing, reconciling, being back in relationship with God, the God of the universe. Jesus, we thank you that nothing is impossible no, no sin that we've committed, no path that we've walked down, no distance that we've gone is too far or too deep or too great for you to overcome because your death and your resurrection defeated everything. So now we can come back to you. So Lord Jesus, would we give us the courage to hear your voice and respond as we come back and experience your grace and your mercy in our life once again today. In Jesus' name.